Americans are as divided as ever, and this man is running for president to help bridge some unity. So let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern Indiana, and today... We are talking presidential politics with a presidential candidate. Joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show, GOP presidential candidate, Ryan Binkley. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you today. I'm so excited to share with you and your your audience about what's in my heart. So thank you for having me. Uh, Well, thank you for joining us, Ryan. And I'm looking forward to digging into, finally, a GOP president who's not named Trump or DeSantis. So thank you for joining the show. (laughs) And uh, let's do things uh, here. Start things off with you introducing yourself to the audience. Ryan, why are you running for president of the United States? Well, fantastic. Well, thank you. So I'm Ryan Binkley. I'm a business owner from Dallas, Texas. We do. Uh, we have a company that does uh, business consulting, mergers and acquisitions, middle market, uh, strategic consulting, and uh, also I'm a pastor. So uh, my wife and I started a church about 10 years ago. So we've been doing both. We have five kids and life and and life has been busy, um, but this passion to run for, pro- run for president came to my mind several years ago and it just keep coming back. And I'm running for president because as you said it earlier in your introduction, our country has never been more divided in my lifetime than it is right now. We are incapable, I think, of solving some of the biggest problems we face until we unite on some key areas and how we're going to solve our financial crisis that we're in. I would call it healthcare crisis, even the border crisis we have. And what's happening in urban America, there's so many things that we're really struggling with the next generation that we have to connect to. So I want to unite our country really to solve these biggest problems. And really, it's a spiritual problem and an economic problem. It's both. And so we've kind of lost our way, and I think we need to find it. So looking at your website, I know one of the top things you mentioned with the divided government right now is seeking bipartisan solutions. Now, I'm going to put your feet to the fire. First question there, Ryan, and that is because a lot of Americans look at the problems we're facing and they say, bipartisan solutions? I think these are bipartisan problems. So how do we get away from a lot of the problems that the two parties have actually helped create? Wow. So, you know, when we think about uniting our country, first of all, I think we've got to do two things. One, we have to have a leader that speaks to the importance of it. Right now, we've got leaders in place that are actually stoking division. And so this is what happens when you get to the place where we're right now, when leaders have no thought that we even have anything to unite on. or In fact, they want to divide us even further to get political points or to get fans or to rile their base up. Um, that's not going to help us accomplish anything. And that's why every major president p- passes one piece of legislation. Then after that, it's what, 350 executive orders because they can't get anything done legislatively. And that's not who we are as America. We are a republic. We're supposed to be a nation of laws. And we actually have to do what Reagan did, which is transcend the party and connect to other people to pass law. So we have to speak to it. The other thing we have to do is, is pick a few things that we can unite on that are not Republican or just Democratic issues, but are American issues. The budget yep. problem we have is, is an American issue. It's about your children, my children. The, the problem we're having in healthcare, these are American issues. The border crisis, these are American things. And I want to talk about what do we got to do to fix these because our country is at stake. 
Yeah, well, let's talk about one of those you just raised up, and that is the $31 trillion elephant in the room, our national debt. I remember I worked on a congressional campaign in 2012. I think we were around like $10 trillion or so, and even then it was completely mind-boggling. Now we times three, and now we're over $30 trillion in debt. How did we get here, and how does a Ryan Binkley administration uh, deal with this, this debt crisis? Well, okay, so great question. You know, nobody's asked me that question. How did we get here? I think we really got here by by the Republican Party losing its and diluting its message of who we really are. Mm. You know, our message has really always been a message of freedom. Well, the freedoms that we have are really built on us being to be financially free. It's so hard to tell people you can live your dreams and you can do and become all you're supposed to be. And by the way, we're saddled with so much debt that you can't do that because we're <laughs> right now when this happens, and you have bank failures. Bank failures won't be loaning to companies as much for entrepreneurs. You can't buy a house. You can't do the things you want to do. So I think the, we got here because the Republican Party has not held its ground. We, we need to go back to being that party of Reagan, being what Newt Gingrich did when he just held the line on going, we've got to balance the budget. You know, it's been 30 years since we've had a balanced budget. So what do we need to do? This 31 trillion, you know, we had both parties celebrating what, just a week ago, that we came up with this bipartisan agreement to raise the debt ceiling four more trillion in the next, in the next two years. So by the time I'll, I'll speak positively here, uh, I'm inaugurated, <laughs> we're going to be $36 trillion in debt. So what does this mean to our kids in the future? Well, it's detrimental because about 8% of our current budget is paying interest on this debt today. And pretty soon, the next five or seven years or so, that could be a trillion dollars or more and we don't have the money for that. So as we look at infrastructure, we look at strategic investing, we look at keeping our defense up, we look at uh, even things that we're doing, we cannot continue at this pace. And this is, I really feel this way, if we don't fix this now, this our generation will be known as the one that prospered the most but sacrificed the least, and we'll actually set up our children and our grandchildren in the future with likely the weakest economic foundation since the Great Depression. So we have to fix it. We have to have a balanced budget. We have to stick to it and put together a 20-year plan, 15-year plan to pay off, pay off this debt. One of the main topics of conversation when I was on that said congressional campaign in 2012 was the uh, the passage. And at the point, it was really focused on repealing. And I think we also talked about replacing Obamacare. And really since 2008 and the passage of that massive bill in 2009, a lot of our health care costs have skyrocketed. You've seen quality of care plummet. So, Ryan, what would be a Binkley administration's approach to helping fix our broken health care system? Well, first of all, great points, because since that time, what we've done is we we didn't intend, I think, or verbally, the Republican Party tried to not make this socialized medicine, but really what we've done is we've already done that to a large degree. And this is what this is what we've done. This is the only thing that you and I and American people buy as a whole today in our economy that we no longer walk into a doctor's office, a clinic or a hospital and go, how much does it cost for me to be here today? And when that happens, when we no longer care or we no longer know what an x-ray is, what an MRI is or what a, a doctor's visit is, then all of a sudden we've lost control. We've lost the ability, the incentive, the influence to shop properly, to even, you know, to see what things matter. The patient is not in control any longer. And so I'm going to recommend an actually transformation of healthcare because it's become a, a system of monopolies in every single state. 
I would call it an oligopoly where you have too few competitors in the insurance world, too co few competitors in the healthcare providing world. And of course, we have some patent laws that need to be changed when it comes to pharmacy, pharmaceutical drugs that we have to change. But in essence, we have to bring in competition with healthcare exchanges. Right now, uh, there's an old old law out there that we need to repeal that does not allow insurances to compete across state lines competition will improve will help and this is what we need price transparency service visibility knowing what the services are are they related to a patient outcome or not if they're not we don't need them i think you said it we're number one in cost we're not even the number of we're not even in the top 20 in developed countries with patient outcomes per dollar and so we have to fix this, but it can be done through competition and price, price transparency primarily. Ryan Binkley, you're running for president here as a Republican. And one of the main conversation points that Republicans like to focus on is energy independence. Now, I also hear some of our friends on the other side of the aisle talk about energy independence, but they do so through the lens of subsidies for solar and wind. But I, I think there might be some alternatives that you'd bring to the table. I'm hoping nuclear is one of them. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Of course. I mean, we need to be energy independent. We need, we need to be exporting energy. Uh, we don't need to be importing energy. I tell people, I was in uh, Iowa this past week. Obviously, I am for every available form of energy right now that is cost effective and that has less government involvement in it. So I can understand the reason for some incentives a little bit as things get started. But at the end of the day, we need to, we need to go with the energy that we have. I'm trusting that American energy companies, we're going to do it better and more efficiently than Iran and Russia are. And as long as we can agree with that, we need to make sure that we're doing and we're expanding regardless whether that's ethanol, whether it's oil and gas, natural gas, certainly uh, nuclear, and we're just expanding it every way we can. When we lead this way across the nation and across the world, um, we'll become stronger as a nation, we'll lead stronger from a diplomatic standpoint and a greater position of strength. Because when we're strong economically, then all of a sudden China and Iran and Russia will begin to listen to us all the more. Let's talk about what helped Trump actually get into the White House back in 2016. It wasn't the lock her up or but her emails, but rather it was build the wall. Immigration, 2023, yeah. here we are, fast forward, nine years later almost, it's hard to imagine, and still we are facing unprecedented immigration crisis at our southern border, but also up in my home state of New York, the northern border. It's as porous as ever as well. So, Ryan, what would be a Binkley administration's approach to dealing with our immigration crisis? Does it include, in fact, building a wall or actually finishing a wall? Absolutely, it does. I really feel like this. So this is where I think we as a country have to recognize something that we have had a, I would call it just a kick the can strategy here uh, on mm -hmm. the border, on the wall, along with immigration for 50 years now or longer. I mean, you could go back. How come we have never been able to secure this border? Why is that the case? And, and even President Trump, when he had the House and the Senate, uh, he had the right idea, but he's, he didn't secure any resources, no money to do it. He, he, he told us he was going to get Mexico to pay for it. And and I heard they declined. So um, this is this is nothing that is is going to happen unless you get bipartisan support on it. So I, I think we could we could dream that we could do this without money. But the reality is it's going to take a barrier. It's going to take technology and it's going to take people. And when we can recognize that all those three things are going to require resources and money into the billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, maybe more, but it's worth it. And the reason it's worth it is because right now, as you know, two to 300 young people a day are dying of fentanyl. This is the equivalent of a 
a large jumbo jet falling to the ground every day and us ignoring it. We have to do something about it. Uh, we've got human trafficking at an all-time high right now. We have to stop that. In addition, we've got just other crimes happening so much because of this porous border. So we have to seal it. But I actually think this. I would love to do that. If I could get all the funding, we could take care of it. But we still have another problem. We've got 15, 20. We don't know exactly how many millions of immigrants there are here. The many came across here illegally. And what are we going to do with them here? We actually have a worker shortage problem in many areas, uh, whether that be in hard positions, whether that be landscaping or construction or farming or manufacturing. And we have to decide what would we as a nation do about them and what should we do. And right now, none of my other Republican friends are even communicating that this is a problem. But right now we have 20 million plus people. We have no idea who they are in our country. And I think it's time we bring them out of the shadows. We make them register. The reason they're here is because we have companies offering them jobs and we need to hold those companies accountable. I think we offer some sort of visa registration process for the jobs that we need. Uh, send people back that shouldn't be here. Send people back that that we don't need them here or if they committed any sort of crime. But if we actually need jobs here, us to identify those and create a, a work visa program, not citizenship, but some sort of legal way to work here. I think if we do that, we can actually get the funding for it. So since February of 2022 up to today, a hundred plus billion dollars have been uh, sent from U.S. taxpayers over the Atlantic to Ukraine to help uh, Ukraine fight back against Russia. And uh, I know I'm, I from really hail from uh, Philadelphia. I was there for seven years and I'm watching now as bridges are literally collapsing due to truck fires. So you're seeing right now, whether it's Philadelphia or Flint, Michigan, still having their water crisis, American infrastructure at an all time low, while hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer dollars going overseas to countries like Ukraine. So from a Binkley administration standpoint, what would be our approach to handling the uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict? And also, how would that overall impact your, your foreign policy perspective dealing with other countries like uh, China, for example? Right. So to me, they're all related, first of all, stems from financial. The, the few problems that you mentioned here, infrastructure here in our country, that's happening not just because this Ukraine war. That was ha it's been happening for decades, right? So this is broken and will continue to be broken because we're spending too much money. Our government has never seen a tree that needs to be pruned. It hasn't cut a cost of anything. And in fact, when it comes to defense spending, it has pretty much remained flat over the last 20 years, whereas every other social area spending from Medicare to Medicaid to Social Security, even, even um, all, all sorts of spending that we have has gone through the roof. And so we've got to learn to start stop spending so much money, figure out what, how are we going to buckle our belts a little bit. Now, that said, getting back to Ukraine. I, I would do every when we're strong financially here, which when we solve the budget, we will be when we start getting our ducks in order. Every other nation is going to start listening to us again. China would not even take our phone call today from the president of the United States. 20 years ago, I had a chance to go to China with business school leaders and some business leaders, and they were inviting investment for us. They were just wanting us to partner on different issues. And now they won't even they won't listen to us at all. And the reason is they're doing trades and they're doing loans because they're stronger financially from a debt perspective with Brazil, with Eastern Europe, with Africa, and we're not at the table. So they're ignoring us today. When it comes to Ukraine, I believe this, I believe in freedom, but I would, I would resolve to end this diplomatically and relationally with strength with Putin right away. We have to stop it. 
In the meantime, though, I don't like the idea if we just walk away and would we let Putin just, you know, clamor all over Ukraine? Do we think he would stop there? I have no reason to think he would stop there. So I, I like the idea of defending freedom, but I would hold NATO accountable, make them pay their fair share right away, and we would end this war quickly. Let's go back to that city of brotherly love where I lived for seven years, Philadelphia. Uh, when I left Philadelphia back in the beginning of 2022, uh, I looked around and I understood the city was a city in just absolute decline. And I unfortunately realized that Philadelphia was not indicative of just one city, but rather a lot of major urban areas across the country, whether that's Philadelphia, San Francisco, New York City, or all those blue cities in between. So, Ryan, how would a Binkley administration help foster and promote saving or helping restore some of those cities and, and the problems they're facing today? Well, it's great that you mentioned Philadelphia. My ancestors actually came to Philadelphia. So in, I think it was 1763. They actually came right and settled in Lancaster. Then they moved on from there. So I have that place near and dear to my heart as well. But there is so much um, opportunity, I really think, for the Republican Party to have a message and to have a solution in the heart of urban America that really clarifies who we are as America and helps soften big problems. And this is what it is. If I outline the current status of the Republican Party, uh, first of all, we have lost 46 of the top 50 cities by population in the last election. We're not even there at the table with them. I'm from Texas. We lost Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin, and for the first time in 65 years, Fort Worth. So first of all, we have to we have to decide, do we want to ignore urban America? And I'm saying absolutely not. We need to have inroads in there, but this is what we have to do. We have to recognize that much of urban America, they're receiving this socialism message that, hey, the Democrats, they're going to take care of you financially. They're going to give you free health care, free tuition. And, and that's actually, if we're, if we're thoughtful and we consider the poor, people that don't know where next week's coming from, actually a, a socialist message is actually and can be very compelling. And so what we're trying to do is come up with another message that, hey, freedom is the message. Smaller government is the message. Us paying for your health care, paying for your tuition is not in your best interest, particularly long term. We've got to show them how. But I believe this. We have the best opportunity because we can show them right now that socialism doesn't work. Look what's happened to our banking system. Look what's happened to inflation. The American dream is hardly achievable when you can't get a loan or you can't go to college today because it's so expensive. or You can't get an apartment because it's so expensive. College students even today, their dream was just to be financially independent. You know, get an apartment, get a car, get a job. All three of those are harder today than they've ever been before. So this is what I'm recommending, though. If I believe that small government is the way and the government, big government is not the answer, then we've got to go in there and say, well, what is the answer? I'm going to ask businesses, corporations, individuals, churches and charities, not the federal government, to own your city. Would you consider developing community programs, community schools, after school programs for kids, job training, trade centers? We have to reinvest privately back into urban America and show them that a free economy is the best path for them. Let them look us in the eye because we're spending time volunteering, helping them get new jobs, helping them be trained, help them learn how to set up a bank account for their business. And I want to do this with education. If I can pivot, mm -hmm. help them see that we care about them because I think when we start to educate minorities in urban America at a higher level, we can help end the cycle of poverty. I'll, I'll, stop there for a second, but I believe these, these are the answers for urban America. 
Perfect. And one of the, the last questions I had here for today was uh, a focus, I think, more related towards not just your, your faith, but also towards uh, where a lot of conservative Americans have found themselves maybe on the winning side for the first time in decades. And that is the, the argument of pro-life. And, and we saw, you know, with the, the Roe v. Wade being struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, this conversation is now being pushed towards the states. So what would a Binkley administration do to help continue that conversation and help continue a pro-life agenda? Well, first of all, everything that I'm going towards is how do we unify our country to solve the biggest issues? And so this is one, obviously, I am pro-life. And so I believe life matters at every stage of life. And so I do believe this, though. Um, nobody's hearts changed whenever Roe v. Wade was overturned. Mm-hmm. So if you were pro-life, you're still pro-life. If you're pro-choice, you're still pro-choice. In fact, I, I would like to think the number of abortions gone down in America since Roe v. Wade was overturned. But I'm really not sure because there's abortion pill. Women can just take that pill. So unless we change people's hearts, this is not really going to change a lot, I don't think. So I would like to change the culture of life in America. I'd like to help everyone see that. So when I start thinking about this, I start thinking about what could we do to help alter that? And two things came to my mind. One, I think we can help educate and be more readily available and be more of a resource to young people today that could find themselves in, a, in an unplanned pregnancy. And what are the resources in the, that they have today? Um, many women that might be in a moment of crisis, you know, a lot of times there's not a parent there, there's not a father there, there's not a, a husband there. Many times there's not even a friend there. You know, can we be more available and letting them know that there's resources there to help them financially? I had a chance to visit with a young a man who was on the board of a crisis pregnancy center in Dallas. and. And it was a Christian alternative one. And and he was telling me if there was more funds available, so many more women would choose a life because so many of them are concerned about how are they going to do it their first year. I think we can be there hands and feet more. The other thing I think we can do to change the culture of life is to start an adoption movement that's easier, more affordable and accessible for people to adopt today, as well as honoring all those that have helped with foster care but also recognizing there's tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands that that end up not being adopted through foster care. Many age out through the system and they end up being in a poverty cycle. But what if we we adopted not just infants, but also 10 and 12 year old kids that are waiting on a family today? I think we can do more. I think this will help change the culture of life. So if there is an unplanned pregnancy that many women would see over time, wow, I know I have options. And I also know that if I wanted to get my child up for adoption, there's a lot of loving families available. I think we can do more. Ryan, this show, we talk about sales and marketing and how we can bring it to the world of politics. So in sales, not only are we trying to solve problems, but more often than not, we're trying to differentiate our solutions. So unfortunately, that means you have to differentiate between a lot of other candidates who've already tossed their hats into the ring and to focus on pretty much the, the top two people in the GOP uh, race right now. Obviously, former President Donald Trump and uh, Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis. So, Ryan, how would you differentiate your campaign and where you would see a Binkley administration in 2024 leading versus a Trump or DeSantis administration? Okay, there's four things that I'm talking about that I've not heard either one of them say at all. Balanced budget is number one. I have not heard one of them say, we want $7.5 trillion in debt under Donald Trump. 
I don't think our, our nation could afford that again. I've not heard DeSantis mention a thing. In fact, I've heard him talk about expanding the office of the presidency. And I think that means because he knows he can't pass any legislation. Number two, I'm not hearing one of them mention about we have a problem with health care. Health care inflation is 40 percent higher than regular inflation. And if we don't solve that, it is eating away our economy. We'll never have a chance. The third is an urban renewal and education system. And this is what I'm, I'm asking. We, the, the Republican Party lost 70 percent of the college vote to Joe Biden in the last election. And we're not even at the table at college campuses. And this is what I would like to do. I'd like to start a volunteer movement. Think of the Peace Corps in the 60s and 70s, but asking young people, and I'm calling it serving and volunteering in education, save as the acronym. What if we could begin to start a volunteer movement, ask young people to volunteer five or 10 hours a week and help tutor a third grader, a fifth grader, an eighth grader to get their reading levels up at the right level? Only 15 percent of minorities are at an eighth grade reading level as they should be. It's only about 60 percent of even anybody in suburban America. We can change education. And I want to do that through a volunteer movement. I want to teach America and show America that, you know what, we can we can unite by serving again and believing in each other again. And I want to unite our country. Both our other top leading candidates are leading by division. I think DeSantis is trying to out Trump Trump. I don't think that's going to work. We need to unite our, pro our country to solve these biggest problems. And that's what I want to do. Ryan Binkley, it has been an absolute pleasure. I know we're hard-pressed for time here. So with that being said, I, I think it'd be great if you could do us a favor. Let folks know where they can go ahead and support your campaign and also follow you on social media if you want to continue the conversation. Well, thank, thank you very much. Binkley2024.com is our website address. That's Binkley2024.com. Obviously, find us on Facebook and Instagram. We're, we are sharing this message all the time. We're heavy in Iowa. We have a strong Iowa and New Hampshire strategy. We are being heard out there. Uh, we had a chance to be at the Georgia GOP convention this last weekend. It was an honor to be there. And I think this, we just need to get on this debate stage and share a more limited government, but a freer government, a united party. I see the Republican Party reaching out into urban areas more. We need to broaden the Republican Party tent. We only won 46% of the vote in the last two general elections. It's not going to happen on either of the platforms DeSantis and Trump are running on. We have to expand our reach. It's time for the Republican Party to reach out to young people in urban America again. We want to do that by uniting our country. And we actually need 40,000 unique donors to get on the debate stage. That can be just $1. If you like this message, you want to hear it on the debate stage, would you go to the donate side, donate $1 even? It could be, of course, more, but, but that will help us. And uh, thank you very much. I look forward to sharing the message all the more. Please follow us and share. Absolutely. Well, folks, if you got some value from today's episode, you know the drill. Go ahead and give it a share. When you do, please tag Ryan, but also tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty Twitter and Facebook. And also, if you're joining us here on the video version of the show, well, number one, hit that subscribe button and notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. YouTube, Sovereign, and Rumble. I'm a big fan of Sovereign, by the way, Ben Swan's entity. If you want to support independent media, also get a Sovereign exclusive where you see today's episode before anybody else. So make sure you go ahead and support us over on Sovereign. But if you are joining us here on YouTube, well, again, hit that little notification bell. And do me a favor, hit the like button. It helps us more than words can say. And also, uh, if you are on YouTube, stick around. The conversation's not over. I'm going to have my uh, good friend Kenny Cody come up here on the show with us. And it should be popping up right about here where we're going to talk about, yes, the 2024 GOP race uh, heating up. Where, Ryan, yes, we, in fact, talked about your campaign at length as well. So, folks, if you want to go ahead and check that episode out, it will be available there on YouTube 
Also, you can find all 740 plus other episodes of The Brian Nichols Show over at BrianNicholsShow.com. But with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for presidential candidate Ryan Binkley. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at BrianNicholsShow.com.